It remains New Zealand's worst peacetime disaster. On the 28th of November 1979, a sightseeing aircraft carrying 257 people crashed head-on into the side of a volcano in Antarctica. The tragedy of flight TE-901 was a shock for New Zealand, affecting almost everyone in the country in some way, and led to years of investigations and a bitter blame game. The legacy of the Mount Erebus disaster is still felt 40 years on. So there was a plane, it crashed into a mountain. Actually, it was a volcano. And here's the thing, two degrees of drift doesn't seem like a lot, but even one degree of drift in aviation is actually huge. Unknown to the pilots, there, were, uh, there was actually a two-degree deviation or error in the flight coordinates that, you know, if, if they had today's technology, would have never happened. But back then, the two degrees that they were off flying from New Zealand to this volcano in Antarctica placed the aircraft 28 miles east of the planned route. And what's true for pilots is also what's true for kind of like our own lives, but even more importantly, like why I'm talking about it this morning is it's actually true for churches. Even just a degree of drift can cause a church, just like a pilot, to end up in a place they never intended to be. Now, today I want to take some time to focus on the mission and vision of our church. And why is that? Because every church over time increasingly experiences the threat of this word, drift, okay? And the reason why it's called drift, it's because it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It happens slowly over time, so slowly that you barely even notice it until you have drifted very far from where you originally intended to be. And the reason why it's so dangerous is not because of how it will affect us Today, in the moment that you drift, there isn't so much danger. It's not about how it affects you in the moment, but because of how it will affect you later on down the road, how it will affect us next year, how it will affect us in the next two years, how it will affect us in the next five years, the next 25 years. And think about it like this. One degree off traveling from San Francisco to L.A., you'll be off by six miles. If you're traveling by plane and you went from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and you were off by one degree, you would actually end up on the other side of Baltimore, which is about 42.6 miles away. And traveling around the gro- gro- globe, 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 traveling on the, I can't talk today, traveling around the globe from Washington, D.C., you'd miss D.C. on the way back by 435 miles, ending up in Boston or Boston if you were just one degree off. So one degree makes a difference, not necessarily in the immediate, but in the long term. And so what's the point? Well, the point is this. The longer you drift, the more it affects you. The longer you drift, the more it affects you. I think this is why the scripture says this in the book of Proverbs. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And so what is this saying? Don't get sidetracked. Don't lose sight of where you're headed. And today, we really want to talk about this vision that God has for us as a church because we always want to be clear about why we are doing what we're doing and how we're doing what we're doing. But we also want to make sure that there's unity in our efforts as we engage in being a local expression of God's church. Ultimately, I hope to help us understand something that Jesus talked about with his disciples in the Gospel of Mark uh, long ago and how that applies to us here today. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 4, where I hopefully (laughs) plan to... um, Actually, I put this phrase, land the plane, but I didn't realize I'd started the message talking about a plane that crashes into... Um, anyway, so let's not talk about planes, where I hopefully tend to park the bus. Is that, that, that'll work, that'll work. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 26 to 29, but while you turn there, I just want to do this real quick. Let's just, again, this isn't like a typical uh, Sunday where we kind of dive right into the scriptures. I, I, this one's a little bit more practical, especially those of you who call clarity home. And what I'd like to do real quick is just for a second talk about 
why mission and vision statements exist. To the average person, the idea of mission and vision maybe sounds like something you would find on the walls of a corporate office, and maybe it's not particularly applicable to you, but why groups like churches, organizations, even companies utilize mission statements, the reason why they do it is what they do is they try to hope to put in writing what they believe ultimately and maybe altruistically, what is their identity and what is their purpose. And for churches, mission statements often clearly, or they should clearly explain what a church believes about their specific identity. In other words, it is what they believe that God, uh, what believe God has called them to be. And so mission statements, it's just simply this, what God has called a church to be. That's if you're trying to figure out, like, what's the mission statement? Like, what is it that God has called us to be. And even if you don't know what our specific mission statement is, um, and if you did know what it was prior to Sunday, uh, one of the things that happened this past Sunday at our annual core partner meeting is um, two really big changes in, in the, probably the two biggest changes in our 10 years of, of being existence that we kind of shifted our mission and vision statement. Not necessarily to say we've moved from what we believe God has called us to do, but it's actually just helped us change the language. And it's, it's language that we use every single day and in fact, um, if, I don't know, if, maybe I'll give you extra, anyone know what our previous mission statement was? I don't think anybody does. Even I don't remember it. That's how boring and um, like vanilla, and it was, it's, it was something that you could probably hear from any other church. It was, it was, and it really wasn't any of our language. And so uh, if you weren't at our, our meeting last Sunday, this was what our core partner said, yep, this is going to be our new mission statement. And it's simply this. It's simply this, that we're a community of gospel-centered people. That's the first statement, right? That's something you hear me talk about all the time, that we're a community of people who are centered on the gospel. Increasingly learning to what? Well, you're reading it, but you would probably know if you've been around here. What, like when we refer to people who are followers of Jesus, and I'll probably even say today, we don't just say someone's a Christian. We say someone is learning to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus as master and savior. And so that's who we are. That's what we want to be. And then what? Repurposing our rhythms. That's a, that's a thing that we talk about a lot. Like, it, God doesn't want you to change necessarily. For some of you, it might be change your life. But God doesn't want you to pick up what you're doing and quit your job and all of a sudden go into ministry. In fact, I think what happens most of the time is God reveals to you that he has ordained you to where you are at. And what he's asked you to do, instead of changing your rhythms, he's asked you to repurpose them. To figure out that how, how you can begin to repurpose the things that God has called you to do to join the mission of God at work in the world. Because God is at work in the world, whether you realize it or recognize it or not. We just have to be able to say, you know what, God, I'm going to have the kind of eyes and, and, and the kind of intentions to join you in the work that you're already doing in the world. I don't want to just go to work. I just don't want to be a father. I just don't want to be a brother. I just don't want to be a friend. I just don't want to go to school. I want, while I'm going to school, while I'm fathering, while I'm going to work, my life to be a representation of the gospel everywhere I go with everyone I meet every day I live, which I, I actually, we'll talk about that in a second. But so we repurpose our rhythms. Why? So that we can engage in the mission of God in the world. Because we believe that God has a mission. Not that we have a mission ultimately, but actually God has a mission and he's invited us to be a part of it. A vision statement on the other hand, so we, we have this mission statement. Mission statement is what God has called a church to be. A vision statement on the other hand is what a church believes God will accomplish through them as they engage in the work of living out their mission. So while a mission statement is what God has called a church to what? To be. A vision statement is what God, through a church, wants to do or accomplish. So when it comes to the idea of vision, anyone who teaches on how to cast a compelling vision will tell you that it needs to be simple, it needs to be repeatable, and then you need to say it over and over and over again until people get sick and tired of hearing it, and, 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 then, and, then, and then only then, when they're finally sick and tired of hearing it, that's when you've just started repeating it. In fact, I, we've changed our mission statement just to, to match something that you've probably heard specifically over the past couple years, just over and over and over and over again. In fact, if I told you that this was our vision statement, you wouldn't know that it had changed from something previous. And so here's our vision statement, what we believe God wants to accomplish through our efforts of being a local fellowship of believers. And this is our vision statement, gospel transformation. Everywhere we go, every day we live, with everyone we meet. 
Everywhere we go, every day we live, with every, we want to see gospel transformation, not only in our lives, but in the lives of everyone within our spheres of influence. And as I look over the last 10 years, it's been my joy and honor to witness God accomplish his vision for our church. And I know, like, current realities, you know, post-COVID for us, right? Those of you who have been with us for a long time, you know, COVID kind of hit our church really hard. And it's kind of hard to remember, like, what, what did God do in the early days like, <laughs> of our church? And I want to share one story. She's not here today because um, she, she got really sick. But So I, I asked her to, um, if I could show this video from her baptism video that uh, when she got baptized, probably, goodness gracious, like five, six years ago. And uh, here's one person's story, just in case you forget, like how God has used clarity in the past. So roll the film. My, my dad uh, ended up passing away from a quadruple bypass surgery. And after that, my family, he was kind of the glue holding us all together, uh, really fell apart. My brother uh, despaired into uh, alcoholism, worse than my mother even had. And my mother uh, had Alzheimer's. And so um, there was just a lot of bickering and, and uh, a lot of issues between family members um, and just a lot of pain going on in that broken family with my brother then dying from his alcoholism. It just got very, very difficult between my, my remaining siblings and I. And I just remember saying to my husband, you know, honey, I need something more than just praying and, you know, catching a preacher on TV. I, I need to get involved in a community. I need my... I need my spirit fixed. I need, I need to fill it up. <laughs> and uh, we were driving home, and, and I said, I don't even know where to start. And he said, well, how about that place? And it was Clarity Church. <laughs> and it was right across from our, our subdivision. We must have driven by it a hundred times. But uh, I think you were about a year old. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I walked over there for the first time, and I felt uh, such a great community and I said yeah I'm gonna go back and so I went home and I talked to Colin because we never had really gotten him involved in any faith and I talked to him about you know uh, how faith had become important to me and I wanted to deepen my faith and he uh, he said well I'll try it <laughs> and I said well yeah if you know if you hate it I'm not gonna make you go but would you just give it a try so we went the first time and um, you know he was you know in that awkward teenage stage and so uh, I couldn't even tell if he liked it or didn't like it but he agreed to come again and he just kept going too and and I was really inspired by seeing him uh, grow in his faith as well and for me a uh, community the expanded community besides the uh, the day that we go and sit in our chairs and listen to Phil talk um, community has been such a blessing. I've gotten to know people and learn from people and hear people's stories that have been so inspiring for me. Um, and it's helped me put faith into my everyday rhythms because sometimes all of that is a growing experience and you're not sure about how to talk about it or when is it appropriate to slide it in there. And sometimes with certain friends, um, it doesn't come up. In, in our time together. And other times it comes up and we have some really deep conversations about it and, um, and it's very comfortable. And I learned that in community. I, I probably wouldn't have uh, found a way to be comfortable about that if, if I wasn't hearing all these great stories from other people in our community. Over the years, the power of God through the intentional use of our energy and resources has allowed those who consider themselves a part of Clarity to help people who are not yet a part of this church feel invited, feel welcomed, to experience transformation in their lives through the power of the gospel. And for the first five to six years of our church's history, um, if you remember, we were able to see incremental growth little by little over, over time. And then something changed. More specifically... Um, hindsight's 2020, right? Um, I realized that I had changed. Um, 
In particular, I had moved one degree off. And it was so small that I didn't even know it. And when I mean one degree, it, it was really, really, really small. Like, really, really small. So small that I actually even discounted the importance of it. I, I don't think I did this at our core partner gathering. I wanted to save it for this moment, but this is a little confessional to each and every one of you. Just like a plane that was off by one degree, that one degree in the immediate didn't seem like a big deal, but over time, it does have negative impact. It's no secret that over the last few years, we have slowly become smaller as a church. Now, it'd be one thing if we were becoming smaller because people were like leaving, they were upset at me, they were upset, you know, like, right? No, I mean, everyone, everyone has been moving and we just had no visitors. Like, that's, that's the reality of who we are as a church. And it's also no secret that over the previous few years, we've not had the honor and joy of seeing people cross the line of faith or proclaim their faith in Jesus through baptism, as Jesus instructed his disciples to do when he spoke the words we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. You know it. It says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And recently, um, it has been bothering me to the point that I have been engaging in very open and honest conversations with mentors of mine and pastors who I consider much wiser than me, who have been in ministry for longer than I have been alive. And over the past several months, I've been having these kind of conversations that have been extremely helpful, but also at the same time super revealing for me. And up until recently, I haven't been able to be super honest with myself about the mistake that I have made leading this church. It wasn't a big one. It was just one degree. But here we are, coming up on year 10. And I love every single, each and every one of you. I mean it with all my heart. You know that. But the sustainability of who we are is, it's, we, could, we could meet in my home and I would have the joy of still being your pastor, but like the idea of doing this and even the dream of reaching more people for Christ will not happen unless something changes. So I went with all my mentors and I basically was just like, hey, yeah, come up on year 10, we're supposed to be celebrating you know, and all through the years, God has provided amazingly. We talked about this at our all core partners meeting. Like last year, we said the budget was going to be 139, and based on our giving, we were only going to take in 82,000. And then I said, "Hey, praise the Lord, we took in 160,000 this year." And we're like, "Yay, God's all. And that's like been the story. If you've been around every like every year, our <laughs> our, our business meeting looks like this. Our, our annual meeting looks like this. We don't have enough money, but we're going to trust God, and it happens, and it works. And so either one of two things. Um, God is real, and he shows up, and he provides where he guides, or I'm really bad at math, okay? So, and that's the second, could be, could be really, real possible, but I, I'd like to think that, um, I'd like to think that God is great, and he is great, and, and that even in our inability, he shows, in fact, in fact, in our weakness, he is made strong, I believe that with all my heart. But anyways, I got together with these pastors, and I got together with these mentors of mine, and one of them, um, as I told him about what's going on, he took me to a passage of scripture that I want to share with you today. That he took me to, to try to put some, this is what happens when, you know, I was actually looking for like real advice and then he had to be get like all God on me. He's like, well, let me take you to a passage of scripture. I'm like, oh, I just want some real advice. Like, how do we solve this issue? He's like, oh, that's right. We're going to look at the scripture. Okay. All right. So he took me to the scripture and I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with you. And, uh, and, he, and he took me to this passage of scripture that, I mean, I know it. If you grew up in the church, you read this and I've taught this passage of scripture. And he goes, you remember this story in Mark chapter four, where it says this? 
Mark chapter 4, verse 26, 29. I don't have it on the screen because I like you to read with me sometimes. But if you have it, read it with me. It says this. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on its head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends someone for the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, before I tell you how this one mentor of mine tied it to my situation, what you need to know is that when you read scholarly commentaries on this passage of Scripture, you'll find similar observations like that um, one popular commentator, Bruce Barton, if you read any of his stuff, I totally recommend it, but he writes this about this passage of Scripture. He says this, Jesus was explaining that the kingdom would grow both in people's hearts and by adding people to it. The growth would be slow, but certain. It would face obstacles, but would continue to grow nonetheless. Our job is to faithfully sow the seed, trust God, and then wait (laughs) and look for signs of life. So it it makes sense that when I begin to ask him, um, you know, he, he, he... Tell me about the passage, and I'm like, okay, I I understand what you're talking about growing, but tell me what it is I'm not seeing. Why why do you talk about this passage of Scripture when I'm telling you that Clarity Church is not growing? He took me to this passage, and taking me to this passage, he first tried to actually, uh, he's, he's a smart man. So when you're about to give someone, like, bad news, what are you supposed to do? You give good news first, like you sandwich it first. So he was a good mentor. And so that's what he did. He First, he tried to encourage me by showing me that according to Jesus, the kingdom of God grows not because of the farmer, but because of the seed. Like, you know, Phil, first you need to know, you know, God grows his kingdom, and it's not because of the farmer. It's the seed. Like, okay, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you, I feel good. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And he's like, oh, no, I, I didn't say that. Um, According to Jesus, the farmer does not make the seed grow, much less understand the, uh, I like what Walter Wessel says in his commentary, he goes, less the mysterious power of the seed itself to produce a crop. But then, what happened next was this, in this conversation, he asked a question that really cut to the heart, because I asked him a question, then of course he had to get all like Jesus on me, and like, I asked him a question, what does Jesus always do when people, ask him a question, he's like, well, let me ask you a question, like, I knew I was in trouble. <sighs> so he looks at me, and, and in not so many words, he, he, he asks this question, he goes, Phil, if, if the power of the kingdom of God to grow is in the seed, and not the sower, What is the logical explanation of why a farmer standing over his field sees no crop over time? And almost immediately I knew the answer, but I didn't want to admit it. But it was at that moment I knew where I had shifted one degree as a leader. Um, this past week I had lunch with Ben, Pastor Ben from Northridge Fellowship, one of the churches that helped us get started, and Ben nailed the, put the last nail in the coffin when I got together with him. Um, when I spoke with him about my same concerns, I, again, I'd met with several different people, and Ben was the last person I just met this this week, and I told him about the meeting I had with, uh, again, his name is Joel, and so I was like, hey, Joel told me this, he hurt my feelings, and he told me, you know, took me to the scripture, and he got all like Jesus on me, asked me a question. Uh, like, what do you think, Ben? Like, wow, you, you know clarity, you know who we are, you know, you, you know me. Tell, me, tell me why. And I told Ben that it was my hunch that our church wasn't growing because, you know, well, he, he did ask me, I was like, well, what do you think, Phil, again? I asked him a question. He's like, oh, what do you think? I'm like, okay, all right. Well, 
my hunch is that our church wasn't growing because we had forgotten to be people who scatter seeds. Because over the last few years, let's just be honest, we've enjoyed the benefits from the growth we saw in the previous years of planting. In the previous years of our church, where, you know, we would fill the room, every event we had people, we had staging, lighting, full bands, you know, like all, tons of worship leaders that we could, I mean, it was cool, you know, whatever. We enjoyed, over these last few years, I think we enjoyed the benefit of the seeds we planted in that season. But I was now realizing that a decision I made several years ago in the middle of enjoying the fruit of those seeds we planted was negatively impacting our church's ability to grow. Now, to be honest with you, there was a little bit of pride. It's hard for me to say this, but there was a little bit of pride in me that looked at other churches who put effort into making persuasive invitations for people in their community to attend a weekend gathering. You know what I'm talking about. There was a little bit of pride in me that looked at those kind of churches. These are even some of my friends. And I would go, that's interesting. All that work you're doing. All that advertising. Your little cool little stuff you. Social media you. We're just over here uh, preaching the gospel. You know, living life on life, life on mission. You know, that's what we're doing, trusting in the Lord. There's a little bit of pride in that statement. And as I told Pastor Ben, and I'm confessing to you today, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe, I actually don't believe we need special events, uh, postcards, social media campaigns. I don't even think we need a building to see more people come to faith in Jesus. I literally believe that. We do not need that. I believe that in my heart of hearts. And that's more about my trust in a God who promised and who said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? And some of you who listen to me even say, like, we don't need this stuff, and you actually might go, like, yeah, no, that's true. It might mostly be because I've been influencing over the years. I'm like, oh, we don't need this stuff. We don't need to go, like, or this or that and marketing. We can just trust God and live life on mission. And, and, and if you really believe that with all your heart of hearts and you're like, Phil, what are, what are you saying? I'm, I'm telling you, I've been one degree off. And it was funny because Ben looked at me and he goes, you know, Phil, actually, I don't disagree with you. I don't think we need events, postcards, marketing, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, he said, actually, to be honest with you, Phil, in the 20 years of Northridge's life, in the 20 plus years of Northridge's life, I don't think I've ever seen any kind of outreach or marketing strategy work to actually bring more people to Northridge. This is, this is amazing. And then he, he looked at me and, he, and then he pauses and he goes, but I do know that when we did engage in those things, those were seasons where God brought visitors. Like we would do a, 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 a campaign. He would tell me like we would do a campaign and we would see one person. We'd send out 20,000 mailers and you see one family come. Because of the mailers. We would do a block party, and maybe we get like three families that visit. Maybe. But primarily, what happened in that season, we noticed that as we positioned ourselves to be the kind of people who made persuasive invitations and were purposely invitational, in that season of our church's life, every week we did see God bring people through the doors of our gathering. And then he goes, if you think about Clarity's history, Phil, it's probably the same thing. 
you'd see the same thing too. And the truth is this, yeah, back in the day, we used to send out postcards. We used to, you know, like we do all this kind of stuff. And, and the reason why I stopped doing it is because we literally got like zero. We would spend, we'd send out like 40,000 mailers and we would get like one visiting family, right? And I'm like, I remember sitting and going, why are we doing this? This is so stupid. This is a waste of God's money. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? But what I discounted was the fact that in that season, and some of you remember, every week we'd have visitors, multiple visitors, and then people would stick because you are actually really great people. Like, I love being your pastor because each and every one of you are absolutely super special people to me, and, and I really believe that the Spirit of God lives in each and every side of, side of one of you and that doing life with you guys is better than doing life without you. And I think people like Kathy realized that. And she was able to find her place. And Ben was right in the early years of our church, even though I felt like many of our efforts at inviting our community to come be a part of our gatherings was ineffective. People did visit. You remember, some of you were here. And they didn't come because of a postcard or because of some special event. Their story was actually more like Kathy's. Really nothing that we did. <laughs> but what we were doing is we were, we were planting some seeds. And God himself, it wasn't anything that we were doing, but God himself was growing his kingdom. God was at work, and he saw that we were aligning ourselves with his desire to see people connected in gospel-centered community, learning to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus as Master and Savior, and our willingness to plant seeds allowed us to see stories just like this. He was supposed to be here today, couldn't make it, but Kevin, and if you don't know who Kevin is, he moved to Buffalo, so they don't, family don't come as much, but you'll see him every once in a while. But here's a story, and you should take a listen. In 2014, I had a good friend die, um, and I saw the results of what faith had done to what was a really rocky relationship. But when she passed, it was a very solid, and I saw the beauty of what their faith brought to them. And I decided at that time that I at least uh, need to find out if I do believe in Christ and why or why not. So in 2014, I found uh, Clarity Church. Uh, I found them because it was the only church in the area that did not have a churchy name. I met Phil at Caribou, going through that first conversation to, you know, that I wanted to start exploring and faith and Christianity. Um, so I started helping with church, uh, Clarity Church, with the setup and production crew quite a bit for a few years there. Over the last five years, uh, attending Clarity, and spending time with friends. It's been a journey just to not really be exploring it, but be exposed to it. Uh, to be exposed to the faith, to the way people think, and having a safe place to ask questions, uh, especially questions of doubt. Um, and that time has been joyful just to be with a group of people that just accept you who you are and like Phil says all the time embrace the awkward and I have created some very awkward moments throughout the last five years for many people and it's just accepted you know and if it's a little across the line then you know some people will correct you um, saying hey <laughs> but you're still accepted and you're still loved for just being who you are and that acceptance is really where I've learn to accept the faith on its own because that's one piece that I never I always saw in different groups and different churches that you weren't really accepted for who you were um, or where you're at you needed to fit a certain curriculum before you were accepted in the groups and it's really been a joy to just be me and grow and learn and be exposed to that awkward atmosphere to where it's okay because we're all people, we're all on the same journey and we're all in different places and it's okay.
So when I first met Kevin, um, he comes into Caribou. Uh, he, had, he had, under the pretense of wanting to interview, um, he's, he was in a business school and he needed to interview someone who had started a business. And he's, he, the pretense was this. I heard you started this church and I want to interview you because for my business class, I need, and you know, you started a church, so I want to interview and it's like, okay, fine. And we go into the caribou, and I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? And, and he just starts, like, I wondered if he realized I was a pastor. He was like, oh, man, I had an effing day, and it was just beep, 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 And I'm, I'm sitting there like, just, I'm like holding everything within me to be like, and, and <laughs> Kevin was so far from Jesus, and um. And his journey with us was just such a weird one because, like, I, I swear he became a Christian several times, and it took five years. In fact, I remember when he finally, how he finally told me that he accepted, like, the truth about the gospel. It was uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, he comes up right before the service begins. He goes, hey, I got a Christmas present for you. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you'll find out. And so in our Christmas Eve gathering, we ask people to uh, come forward to give their life to Christ, and Kevin comes to give his life to Christ. And, oh my gosh, I cried so much, but I was also so mad at him for making me, like, guess all throughout. Because, you know, sometimes I'd be like, well, you're a Christian now, aren't you? And he's like, nope. In fact, I remember one gathering when I talked about, I was actually talking about him, like, how God worked through his life, and now he follows Jesus, and he goes, I don't. Like, literally in the middle of the service, he goes, I don't. And I'm like, all right, I, I guess, whatever. And if you know Kevin, he's and still, he's still rough around the edges, still super rough around the edges. But... He has learned to place his faith in Christ. And, you know, when you think about the history of our church, whether it's someone like Kathy who had a, you know, she did believe in God, grew up with some type of semblance of Christ, and she came into a point in her life where she's looking to get connected in community. Or you're someone like Kevin for whom a guy like him would never don the doors of the church, but because of the way God was working in his life, he, he told the story, two of his really good friends were Christians, and the death of one of them really shook him, and seeing how the husband, who was still survived, had a strong faith, he was like, you know what? Life is short. I need to figure out if I really believe this. I've never really actually figured out if I believe in God. And he just went looking for a church. He didn't respond to a, to a card or whatnot. But I think in that moment, God sovereignly led him to a place where we would maybe... <laughs> maybe unwisely allow him to be so unchristian for so long with us. But it eventually came to, to be part of the story of how God was working in his life. These are the great story, and these are just, just a, a few of the kind of stories that God has accomplished in our church's life. But not so much today. And so, like, what am I getting at here today? What am I, like, why even talk about this? Um, what's the purpose of today's message? Um, well, it's, it's, it's this. The kingdom of God is growing. We can accept that, right? The, God is growing his kingdom. And we can choose to be a part of it. You know, over the years, we have been a gospel-centered community. I always love to brag to people. Like, we have like 99% participation of all of our regular tenders in community. And then they're like, well, how many people go to your church? And then they're not so impressed anymore. <laughs> But we have like 99% people in community. We've committed to increasingly submitting all of life to Jesus as master and savior. We're followers of Jesus. And in some ways, we are repurposing our rhythms to engage in the mission of God in the world. I've been so proud of each and every one of you who, who have either texted me or emailed me or tell me on Sunday gatherings like this about how God is using you in your circles of influence to not only be the hands and feet of the gospel, but to literally share the gospel with those in your spheres of influence. It's been amazing how God has been doing that. And the boldness I think some of you are growing in regarding not only knowing that you are just a follower of Jesus, but that you're an ambassador of Christ through whom God literally calls out to the world, come back to me. We know that scripture. We talk about it all the time. And while I have seen tremendous amount of growth in many of your lives regarding being the kind of people through whom the gospel transformation is made possible everywhere, with everyone, every day you live, what I believe we need to do as a church is course correct, just one degree. And I realize that we need to do a better job of engaging in a strategy for being a persuasively inviting and proactively welcoming church. 
And it should go without saying, I've proved over probably the last five years that I am not good at this. I don't have all the answers. I wish I was like those really awesome church planners who could like on their own come up with strategies that would propel their, their local church into like fruitfulness. But I, you know, I'm, I'm getting old, der, you know, I'm not old. Even though I feel old, I mean, I had open heart surgery, right? You know, and you don't go through things like that without realizing the frailty of your life. And there's just an honesty that I think God has blessed me to have about my perspective, even though it was a really hard time in my life. I don't think I would have had that kind of perspective had not I gone through that. And so for the Lord, for, for the sake of God's sovereignty, I thank him and I praise him for doing something so shocking <laughs> to, to my life. But one other thing I think we need to do is, is course correct, and I, but I need your help. I am not good at this. And so when I say we need to be persuasively inviting and proactively welcoming, if you're going to go, well, how are we going to do that, Phil? Are we going to send out some postcards? Here's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do? Social media posts? I don't know. But I need your help. I need your help as a church. I need your help. I don't know all the answers. I love the scriptures. I love sharing it with you. And I love doing whatever I can to see that you bring gospel transformation everywhere you go, every day you live, to everyone you meet. But outside of that, I need your help. And I'm, I'm begging you for help. And because I wouldn't be a preacher without having some points, here are just a couple things that I want to put out there. Here's I, here's I think you can help me. For one, I'm asking you to commit to repurposing your resources. Specifically, that means over the past couple years, we've had this Amplify campaign. We've raised over $100,000 just in this campaign to a future building that we believe God might want us to have, but we don't know what it means. And what I'm asking you to do is to shift your giving, to move your giving towards the Amplify campaign just for the next year and give to the general fund. For those of you who already give to the general fund, I'm actually asking you to increase your generosity. And then for those of you who've chosen not to include giving to clarity as a part of your commitment to biblical stewardship, I'm just going to ask you to please commit regularly giving something, just something, just something. And, and why this ask? Why ask this? Because on Sunday, you'll know that I strategically did not put in our budget a marketing line. And I did it on purpose because I knew that if we were going to take this journey, I wanted to do it with you, because like in order to, to spend money on marketing, it needs to be approved by our governing team, like if I had to spend any money outside of the budget. And so I knew that in order to make sure I engage all of you in this process, it would need to be have, it would have to be something that need, required permission from you as a church, from you as a church. And so I am asking you to give to this because as I work with our governing team, and as I work with any of those of you that you might be feeling like, you know what, God, God has given me some special gifts regarding this idea of marketing or whatever, and you join us in maybe creating some type of strategy for this, it's going to take some resources. And our current budget doesn't have that. And it needs to come from somewhere. Now, what happened this last year could happen again this year. We took in $160,000, but $45,000 of that was from people who do not go to our church and it was one-time gifts. Bonkers. I, don't, I could tell all the stories of how that happened, but it was just it's stupid, insane, crazy. God's great. He is. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say like he's going to do that again this year. But if, you, if we were able to increase our generosity, it would give us the opportunity as I work with our governing team and any of those who would work with us to say like, hey, we can spend these dollars, invest in them wisely to actively... Uh, be people who engage in, um, what's what the phrase, persuasively inviting and proactively welcoming people. See, it's so new, I, I just I need to look at it. I don't even have it memorized yet. And so we're going to need that. So asking you to repurpose your rhythms, your resources. Second thing is this, I'm asking you to repurpose your rhythms. On our Sunday gatherings are already part of the rhythms for, for many of you who are here. Uh, but if we begin seeing more people come through the doors of our gatherings, we need to be able to have fully resourced ministry. 
it's no secret that we need more people, right? I mean, am I the only one? Like, it'd be nice. And if you didn't know this, ask those who serve in our kids' ministry, do we need more people? Ask those who serve as a part of their worship team and have to, like, continually beg me to, to be a part of the worship team. Like, I can, but again, unlike some of my friends who are pastors, I'm not, like, begging to be on the worship team. I actually love it when I see you leading worship. I, I would rather be out there just worshiping the Lord with you. If you don't know we need more people, ask people who serve in our cafe or who help set up on the mornings. And while it's no big deal for those of us who have already committed to clarity to show up to a gathering and, you know, find out that kids' ministry is canceled because we don't have any teachers or that there's no coffee because there was no one available to run the cafe, it's, or, you know, for those of us who are clarity, it's no big deal that the pastor of the church also has to lead worship because too many people got sick at once, right? That happens. The truth is that we want people who may visit us to experience, listen to this, not, not anything more, but actually just the very best of what our rhythms are. I'm not saying bring back the stage, turn off all the lights, get a big screen, have cool LEDs. I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking us to fully resource what we simply do, which is gather to worship. We look at God's word together, and they hopefully connect in meaningful community. And so in the coming months, we're going to ask you to help us ensure that our Sunday gatherings are fully scheduled. Just like when we started Clarity, and there's a very few people who remember it, we knew that asking people to serve all the time forever was not sustainable. But we also knew that assimilating people into the life and rhythms of our gathering for worship would require a season of making sure that all of us who were a part of this church fully showed up for, the, for those who were looking for a church to call home. And so once we begin implementing our strategy for being a persuasively inviting and proactively welcoming church, I believe, I believe we will see people visit us. And we want to be fully resourced. We don't want to have a family come in and tell them, so sorry, we have no kids ministry teacher. You're going to have to have the kids with you. I actually, in fact, a family that I know of, actually, I went to college with this. I don't think she knew, but they visited and they had a family and we didn't have kids ministry that Sunday and they ended up leaving before the service even began. I was actually sick that day and they have never been back since. And, and, and I, I touched base with them and, and the basic thing was like, yeah, it wasn't what we were looking for. And then as they talked about what they were looking for, I'm like, that's us. That's just not the day. Just not the day it was. That's us, though. Like, that's, that's actually us. It was just wrong day, wrong time. Oh, I was sick. And then it, it was just, it was one of those things where, and that hurts. But we could have prevented that, right? And once we begin implementing this strategy, I, I want us to be fully resourced as a church, have fully resourced ministry, which would mean for a time, all of us are just on board. Not forever. But just when the time comes for us to make a three to six month schedule, I'm humbly asking you to repurpose your rhythms because you're already going to be here. I know a lot of you are already going to be here. Would you just repurpose your rhythm and not just attend a church you think is great, but would you make the church you're a part of great? Would you just do it? So you're going to hear that, that later. And together, let's be the kind of church that faithfully plants seeds and watch God do what only he can do and then rejoice as God allows us to be part of seeing God's kingdom grow. So, not a real biblical message, but that was my heart for today. Some of you Bible nerds are like, well, you kind of stretched that one, Phil. The seed is the word of God and you're trying to say it's marketing. It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I think you get the point. We need to put ourselves at the work of joining God in his mission. He's building his church. And honestly, people in this community don't know we exist. And I'm just saying, 
I would like us to invest in some type of strategy to help our local community know that we exist. At least give us a chance to find out whether God is done yet with clarity. As far like as as we see it like right now, um, and I'm not saying that there's any doom impending. I'm just saying like, listen, I know the power of one degree, and I know what this church will look like in the next five years if we do not course correct. We will be a very intimate house church, <laughs> and I will love you with all my heart, mind, and soul, and I will not be mad. But if if you think if you think God's not yet done with using this church to actually reach more people for Christ and not just be a home for those who already follow Christ, then I'm asking you to help me and join me in this vision of seeing gospel transformation happen everywhere we go, every day we live, with everyone we meet.